0: Welcome to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance, where top level COOs share the insights, tactics, and strategies that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Layla Harmozzi v. Co-founder and COO for Gym Launch is with us today. Um, Layla, really excited to talk to you. You've been specializing in high-ticket lead generation and sales for boot camps, crosscuts, and small group training studios. I guess Jim's using Gym Launch to go from zero to capacity in 30 days. So I'm really actually looking forward to, to learning about that. You're also an entrepreneur with a passion for helping other entrepreneurs grow their businesses and change the world. You're one of those people who can help make a decision to grow and do it instantaneously. And you can also use these superpowers to elicit loyalty and extreme performance and ownership from the team that you coach. Wherever there's a growth curve like the one at Gym Launch, everyone looks to the sales and marketing, but the smart ones look to the operations. So scaling a company like yours uh, with 30% month-over-month growth is a bit of a Herculean effort, and if you look for the Hercules in Gym Launch, you found it. So welcome, Layla. Well, thank you. How are you? <laughs> I am doing well. How about you, Cameron? Really well. I always laugh when I hear like the bios that we write up, and then I start reading them again, and I'm like, wow, we kind of got artistic all of a sudden. Maybe the wine must have <laughs> come out last night. <laughs> I know. I'm like, wow, that was. Uh, <laughs> I hope I live up to that. Exactly. So, tell us how did um, how did you guys start Jim Launch and give us, I guess, the the helicopter tour of what the what the business really does. Oh
1: man. Um, well, it's it's kind of a crazy story. So, my now husband and I met on Bumble, which is a dating website, uh, two and a half years right. ago. And when we first met, um, <laughs> we didn't necessarily like each other from a romantic standpoint, but we were super fascinated with each other uh, intellectually and from a business standpoint. And it, it, in a non-traditional way, we, we met on our first date and we ended up naturally talking about business for about five hours. <laughs> and <laughs> he at that point had six gyms and I had transitioned into taking my clients. Um, I had been doing personal training into a private facility and I was also venturing into my, an online business. And upon meeting, um, I was absolutely like entranced with him. Um, he was if you talk to him for more than just a few minutes, it's obvious that he has a very high IQ and he's, I guess you could say a genius. Um, and he especially is a genius around sales and marketing. So I had gotten into oh. the industry thinking, you know, I'm so passionate about helping people. I myself had lost a hundred pounds. I want to help other people do the same. You very quickly learn um, that's not how it works. you have to know sales and marketing, right? Um, and so he had some awesome ideas around it. And I understanding what, he had um, skill-wise to scale his gyms um, on the sales and marketing side was really cool to learn. And so within a matter of five weeks, um, I actually left everything I was doing and he had proposed the concept of gym launch. And that was what he he did call it from day one. And he said, you know, help me build this. And so we made a little handshake deal of like, you know, regardless if we like each other a date or not, like we're going to do this thing together.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's a pretty strong relationship right from the get-go. So so what does Gym Launch do then?
1: So it started off that we would first, my husband and I, uh, obviously just dating at the time, we would fly out to someone's gym. We would turn on our marketing that um, my husband was doing, and then him or I would go in and do the sales for a facility. And we would say, hey, we're going to do all the sales for you, but you get to keep the members, and we'll teach you how to retain them on the back end. And so we did that for about um, six months of Gym Launch until we transition right. to what we do today. So what we do today is that we essentially teach the gym owners how to fish rather than fishing for them. So instead of saying, hey, use me for my marketing agency, or, you know, I'll coach you through X, Y, and Z, we say, here's all of the stuff we used to do this in other facilities, and now you're going to do it. And so we give them that autonomy by teaching them how to fish.
0: So you've created, so is it kind of a mastermind group or an, a, a group of gym owners then or part of your tribe or is it a coaching community? So it's, uh, we like to call it like a mentorship program. So our okay. first
1: level is our product gym launch, which is, it's literally just generating the leads, selling the leads, retaining the leads and reselling the leads, right? Which are now customers. And then our second tier okay. is gym legacy, um, And that's what a lot of our marketing and branding out there is Jim Lords is what they call themselves. And right now we have, um, I think about, we have 427 people in that one. And that is our mentorship program. So that's because essentially, you know, everyone wants leads and marketing help, but what they really need is the help on the back end. How are you going to retain these people? How are you going to give them amazing service? How are you going to develop a great product? And then how are you going to keep your team together while you do all this? And that is what, that level is, um, and it is a phenomenal group of people. Like they are some of the hardest working entrepreneurs that I have ever met in my life. For sure,
0: for sure. And then these are all
1: owner operators, mostly. Correct. So they come to us as owner operators, and our goal is to get them out of doing that and um, transition them into just owner.
0: <laughs> okay. And then, then how do you charge? What are your fees like? Oh man. So this one's a controversial.
1: Um, Our upfront program, uh, Jim Watch, is $16,000 over 16 weeks. So it's essentially like we say we will be able, with our tools and our system, we guarantee you that you can pay for it with the money that you're making from the system, right? We don't actually guarantee it because that's not legal, but we say, you know, I think our success rate is still, you know, 9.9, about a 94% success rate on that one. And then our upper level program is... $7.99 a week for three years. So it's about $120,000 over the three years.
0: Wow. So this is not inexpensive (laughs) at all. No, it's not, not at all. Um, and And, go ahead. And you sign them up for it. You sign them up for a three-year program. That's amazing. And if you don't, if you leave, you cannot come back. Okay. If they can't come. Okay. I love, I love the model. And you've got 427. How long have you been doing this? Oh man. Um,
1: what's it's June. So We launched this model last
0: April. Interesting. And why did you get out of the lead generation side of the business then?
1: Well, we still help them, um, you know, create new ads and generate leads. We're always making sure that we help them with that part. But we felt like when a business relies on someone else for, you know, essentially making it rain, it takes the power away from the business owner. And so – Sure. You know, my husband and I, you know, he really dove into lead gen and learning that himself. And that was what freed us to start a business and really feel that freedom. And we don't want to be that thing that caps somebody. And we see so many franchises and organizations that don't do that. And they just, they tie them in because they're afraid they're going to leave. And we didn't want to be like
0: Well, I guess you also already understood how to run the back end of the operation. So if you could figure out the front end on sales and marketing, you intuitively or or through experience knew how to run your businesses, but now you decided to train people on doing it, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny because uh, we knew how to run small businesses, but running what we have today is definitely uh, just a journey.
0: So how many how many people are in your organization, just so our listener can get a, a bit of a scope for what the our organization looks and feels yeah, like? Yeah, as
1: of today, we have 46.
0: Okay, so 46 employees, and what do they do?
1: So we have um, departments. We have IT, HR, sales, marketing, customer service. And our largest um, sections are going to be customer service and sales. So we have definitely customer service is bigger than sales, um, but I would say that they account for, man, probably just under 50% of the company.
0: And. So- Okay, though, no, it's not many. So, so what are they working on day-to-day then?
1: Our biggest thing is that because it's such a high ticket price, we want to make sure that our gym owners get answers as quickly as possible. So customer service ranges from, you know, they handle intercom. They do onboarding calls with the gym owners. Um, they do escalations if somebody's, you know, Facebook ad shuts down. So they'll get on a, a Zoom call and help them. Um, we have customer concierge that just calls customers each week um, and follows up with them to make sure that they are sticking to the program, that they are actually using the program. You know, if they're not, what can they do to help them? So it ranges all the way basically from just like little text messages to hour-long phone calls.
0: And you're, so you're actively running this like a real best of breed franchise company without franchising, correct? Like your gyms are not all operating under the same brand. They all operate as independents. Correct.
1: And a lot of them actually are um, under, they are franchises.
0: Oh, interesting. So they're franchises of other chains? Correct. Most of them. Wow. Very, oh, most of mm-hmm. them are. Oh, no kidding. Now, have you ever approached any of the major franchise companies to see if you could do anything on their behalf or does it do you even need to? Um,
1: we actually have relationships with, I think we have three, as of today, it will probably be four, um, essentially uh, affiliate, you could say, agreements. So, you know, we agree to help with X, Y, and Z with their franchise franchisors, and then they sign for all of their franchises. So, there's kind of two ways of doing it. One is where they take ownership and say, if you're signing on with our franchise, you must use Jim Legacy as a vendor. Or the other yeah. route is You know, I highly recommend that you use Gym Legacy. And if you do so, you get a discount because, you know, we're an approved vendor, etc.
0: It's amazing. It's almost for the franchisor, they're kind of outsourcing their operations. It sounds like if you guys have specialized in it, they don't even need to worry about it.
1: Yeah, and it really comes down to what they are trying to do with the client. Because what we always want to make sure of is that their goal for their client is in line with our goals for our clients, which is total autonomy. Um, and freedom for those people and absolutely over-delivering. And so we've definitely had, we have a couple franchisors that have said, you know, don't use Gym Watch, don't use Gym Legacy um, because we decided not to work with them. Um, So that's unfortunate. But but for the most part, um, they're great relationships.
0: That's very cool. Now, do you have any businesses that are outside of the gym space at all? We do not. We solely stick to the micro
1: gyms um, and we're pretty aggressive about Pushing away those that are not our niche.
0: So talk to me about that. That was a big belief that we had when we built 1-800-GOT-JUNK that we would only operate in markets. And if we, if we didn't have a franchise specific in a market, we would turn down work. You know, Even if it was literally across the street and it was a zip code that wasn't owned yet, we would turn down the work and, and be working literally a block away how do you, how do you guys keep your team and yourselves focused on, on your niche? I guess, avoid the opportunities. Cause I'm sure they drop in your lap all the time, right? Oh yeah.
1: Um, I think if my husband were here, he would be laughing because he is the, the, the opportunity seer. He has so much talent and I think, you know, he looks at this opportunity and he's like, look what more we could do and all these things we could venture to. Right. Um, and then there's me and a couple of our executives that are always like, we have to focus on what we're doing right now. Um, because essentially when we first started gym launch, we were much broader. We were like, we could probably work with most studios, regardless of their you know shape, size, color. Uh, and it mm-hmm. wasn't until we really zeroed in and hyper-focused on what that avatar looked like of who we wanted to serve that we took off. Um, that was definitely a key factor. And so for us, we never want to take on a client that we can't say with absolute certainty will be successful with our program because for us, reputation is going to uh, obviously um, succeed, you know, the short-term cash that we could get from it. And so for us, it's just a matter of like, okay, if we want everyone to have an amazing experience, what kind of person has to come in?
0: It's interesting. And, and you just mentioned cash. I'm going to ask a question that's kind of a little bit off topic right away just before I forget about it. But like, where are you um, as a couple, where are you investing your cash? The business is starting to throw off some good cash for you when you kind of run the numbers in my head, where are you investing? Is it, is it investing in the growth of the business or are you pulling some of that money aside and putting it elsewhere? Where are you as a, as a business you know, we, deciding? to? Yeah, run? we've gotten that question a lot. Um,
1: our number one is we're always going to reinvest it back into the business. Um, We host a couple of events per year. I like to not worry so much about cash during those um, because it's customer fulfillment, um, as well as the infrastructure. So looking at what we can do to make it a better culture within our company, you know, company meetups, events, things like that. And then um, I would say a lot of the cash right now is um, going into our research into what we can do to build even more of an ecosystem for these gyms. So we spend mm-hmm. hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars a month on the research for them and the research of the different, um, you could say like child companies that can open up within gym Launch to better serve them. Um, so you could look at like right now um, our what we're moving towards is supplements. And this has been something we've been working on for since we literally began. Um, but it wasn't until we have essentially the funding from gym Launch that we could even look at doing such a cash heavy business.
0: Well, that's interesting too, for sure. Um, okay, so talk to me about the events that you're running. How did you guys, and and, and guess, give us, I guess, the rest of the model and what what have you decided to kill off over the years? You know, things that you've tried that maybe worked in the earlier days that you've decided to kill off now or things that you thought were, were great ideas that you learned maybe by trying that weren't?
1: Yeah, um, you know, it's funny because it feels like it's still so new. We've just, in the last 14 months, it's like a whirlwind. Um, I would say that... For the business model itself um i mean the biggest learning experience for us was that you have to give away all your secrets um as a business you have to continuously sure deliver to your clients and i think the biggest realization that we had was essentially we did never wanted to get into the coaching business my husband was like coaching is a commodity it's this and that you know you might as well just have a business right and yeah. then when we started really teaching people how to do this for themselves we saw how much it helped them. And, you know, people are coming to you crying, saying you saved my life and my kids and you got me out of 50k and dead. And we're like, man, like maybe we were just doing it wrong before. And maybe we just haven't had the best experience with the coaching groups we've been in because we felt like it was always about the network, not about what the coach was actually delivering to the people. And we never wanted to be just oh. a network community. Yeah. So <laughs> um, my husband made a commitment to the group um, and to the business that has probably been, I would say, one of the Cornerstones to our success that he would every month deliver um, and release at least one to two new things for the upper level clients. And so, whether that be a new method of lead generation, um, a new portal for them to reflect to use to um, leverage for their operations, um, or a new system like we have now, uh, automated follow up that he created not that long ago for them, um, whatever it may be, he's always innovating um, and. That shifted our view from being like, okay, once you get them in, like, you know, you're good to we are constantly reselling them on our product and looking at it like continuity is just a continuous sale. It's not once you get them, they're good and you can just remain stagnant, but it's, you have to be progressively and almost ferociously pursuing like what it could be even better in the company.
0: I love that. Where, now, where are you two, and where are you two learning? Where do you continue to work on your skills? You've, you've mentioned your, you know, parts of masterminds in the past. So, where do, where have you guys gone, and, and where are you continuing yeah. to learn?
1: Um, two of the most influential
0: groups, I guess
1: you could say that we we began with for this was um, Russell Brunson's and Alex Charfins. and so they mm. were two people that really helped us a lot um, in the beginning, especially. Um, as for like, Russell is very much, you know, lead generation sales, getting businesses off the ground. He's very good with a startup. And then Alex Charfin is very good at helping you assemble that first team. And as from besides them, I would say that my husband would probably reference Dan Kennedy for most of the marketing and sales um, experience. And then I would reference, um, you know, honestly reading about some of the people that i I think are the greats, like Peter Drucker and uh, Seth Godin and Simon Sinek, and just studying their lives uh, rather sure. than consuming their material. I like to study the lives of people and how they're, you know, acting.
0: Oh, interesting. Well, I'll give you some offline about Simon Sinek later as well. I've known him for 15 years. Amazing. He's known him for a long, long, long time. He's he's literally been true to his core since before anyone on the planet knew him. Oh, I love that. Um, and Alex Sharfman, super smart. And Alex is based in Austin too, he? is. It? We're actually good friends with him and his wife. Yeah, they're great. I met them. I'm in a group called the Genius Network. And Alex um, and Katie were part of that group last That's year awesome. as well. So, um, okay. So, so masterminding, learning from each other. Now, how about dividing of roles? Because you keep mentioning your husband in the business. So what's, if you were to give us a visual of your org yep. chart, <clears throat> where does his roles fall on the org chart? And where do your roles?
1: So what it would look like is you would see two at the top, which is him and I. And he has a small team of three people that surround him on a daily basis. Um, my husband's like the, you could, <laughs> he's like Willy Wonka in the Wonka factory. Said this the other day. Like, <laughs> he's in there and he's with it creating either content or researching the next thing that we're going to release to the group. And his team is very tight knit. Um, it's very close. And um, how'd you put it? It's not quite as organized or rigorous as we run the operations side, so then you would see me, and then you would see um, the rest of our operations team, which is um, pretty much you know forty people. So you would see all of our executives and our directors, and then you would see. So there's at this point one, two, three, three levels of management, I believe. Um, so we have executives, yeah. um, directors, and managers.
0: So this is today, this, the business is the biggest thing that each of you have either run, Correct. right? It's kind of like the most entrepreneurial story is that, that you wake up in the morning and the business is now the biggest thing you've ever done in your life and tomorrow it's bigger again. <laughs> yeah. so, um, so, you know, we, we read a lot on social media about the whole, um, what's it called? The uh, imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't think so much of an imposter syndrome So I don't feel like we're out there faking it, but I feel like we're out there waking going, what the hell am I supposed to do? <laughs> how do you how do you control your mind and the chatter that um, entrepreneurs have to deal with with you know our own skill sets and our our uh, insecurities and our worries how do you how do you keep that under check or in check
1: you know i think a lot of it comes from like when i was going through weight loss like 7 years ago of affirming yourself of things and i hmm. think if you put in that work in the beginning then it doesn't really come later on i haven't had Those questioning thoughts anytime recently, even though I'm constantly uncomfortable because in the beginning, you know, every day when I was walking or reading or whatever, I would have time where I would say my affirmations. I was like, you know, I would say some cheesy stuff like, "I am a badass," like, "I am the CEO of this ten million dollar company," and I am, you know, and I, for me, doing that and then taking action, continuously learning and reading about operating a business and expanding my skill set is really what puts me at ease. Because if I know that I'm better than who I was yesterday. It's a lot easier to avoid that, that feeling of inadequacy because I'm doing something about it.
0: I love that you do the affirmations. I, um, I co-authored the book, The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs with another Austin guy, Hal Elrod. Um, and we launched that book about a year and a half ago. And and the A in, in savers, the morning savers is your affirmations. So it is, I mean, it sounds so cheesy, but it's, <laughs> damn, it it really works. Man. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so what are you focusing on day to day now? If over over the next quarter, I guess we're going into Q three right now. So, what is Layla focusing on um, in terms of you know your day to day?
1: Yeah, um, my day to day right now has been mostly scaling leadership. So, um, it's turned into much more of a strategic role, especially since we brought my sister in, who is now ascended up the ladder and is our highest executive over everyone. And she actually has been in operations for 10 years. So until I got into this, I didn't really understand how good she was at what she did. Right. Um, Uh So she handles a lot more of the day-to-day operations when I can focus on strategic. So I'm looking at forecasting what the teams have to look like um, in the next quarter. And I would say for this quarter specifically, um, I'm wrapping up developing our leadership training so that as people ascend into management and executive roles, they have a module or a portal, you could say, where they can log in and see how Gym Launch expects its leaders to, you know, lead and manage. Um, and then from there, it's really building out the team for our next venture, which is supplements. And so I'm focused on what is phase one, two, three of the rollout going to look like? What's the infrastructure going to look like? What are the roles we're going to have to hire for? And just building out that plan and then beginning with hiring that first person, which is going to be a director.
0: Good for you. Yeah, you really get it. I was talking to a, a client that I coached the other day of about a 700 person company. I've been coaching them from 60 people up to 700 employees. Wow. And we were, we were talking about what the next phase of growth is going to be like. They've just raised $255 million from Warburg Pincus. So they've got a huge amount of cash now to let, to fuel the rest of their growth. But we were talking about forecasting the team, and we talked about doing an org chart for what the company looked like three years from now, two years from now, and 12 months from now, and then reverse engineering that org chart into almost like a monthly staffing plan that you could then, I call it higher ahead of the curve, because if you're only hiring the people that you need, you're missing the point. What you want to be doing is hiring the people that you'll need in 12 months and tell them to roll up their sleeves and get in here early because they're going to be building you know, the, the business for yes. you. Um, And it sounds like you're approaching it in that right way. So talk to me about the the leadership training. I've always believed that a a leader's job is to grow people. And it really sounds like you guys are taking that philosophy on. So what what skills are you working on growing the leadership side of your team?
1: Yes. um, You know what? I honestly feel that most people that come into the company um, that end up as leaders are very growth oriented, but they have been taught to sit back, um, not give as much feedback, not voice their opinions as much and take a lot of the responsibility that should probably be delegated. Um, and I think it's just mm. kind of how the workforce has been for the last, you know, however many years. So my goal yeah. is always to make them feel, um, to make them, to get them to really understand that I'm coming from a place of, I want to grow you as a person. And I want you to <laughs> shatter the beliefs that you came in here with and understand that to grow that in this company, you have to give feedback. You have to challenge me at times. You have to, you know, Voice your opinions. And um, I think that the biggest thing a lot of directors face at first is that they have a hard time delegating down a lot of decision making and they try to take a lot on their back because they assume that as they rise up, they're going to have more responsibilities day to day rather than decisions that they oversee.
0: Yeah, ideally, you want to delegate all of that. I almost flipped the org charts upside down. So I have the CEO at the bottom supporting the VPs that are above them, supporting the managers, supporting the customers, and that our role is to really help them make decisions, remove obstacles, and grow them as people, but not to tell them what to do. I like
1: that, the flipping of the org chart.
0: And and then as long as we keep the vivid vision kind of above everybody, that all of the employees, customers, and suppliers can kind of see that same vision that the CEO can see for what the company is going to look like in three years then everybody can figure out how to do it. But when the org chart's autocratic, the typical top-down, everyone is waiting for it to come to them versus, no, it's your decision. I'm just here to help you and support you. I like that a lot. The, uh, yeah, thanks. The, um, so on the, on the leadership side, then, are you building into your interview and recruiting process that, that you're hiring and recruiting people that already have those behavioral traits, that they are strong leaders, they will make decisions, they will you know speak up? You know, that is what I look for out the gate. Um, and then I'm always looking for
1: those who take the opportunities presented to them on the teams, like people in the front line and looking at how we can get them to fast track into leadership. Um, for some positions, like I would, I would say most of them, I feel like you can train a lot of those, those characteristics if you yourself are constantly working on them and, you know, aware of your behaviors and how you're treating them on the team. But I do yeah. think there's a, some positions at the skill level, someone does need to come in with experience such as finance. I can't teach someone to understand finance to the level that they'll need to in our company. So I, yeah. yeah,
0: exactly. You can't, you can't really teach the skill of finance, but you you can hire for people who already have the leadership ability. You know, when they were 12 years old, they were the leaders, or when they were 14 years old, they were speaking up in the classroom. Yes. Like if you can look for those behavioral traits early, so you almost hire for attitude and the skill set, whereas in the old days they used to say hire for attitude, train for skill. I think you have to hire for both. Yeah, and you, I,
1: I would you agree because side. there's some people that I've, I've just hired for one. Like in the beginning, I remember hiring just for the attitude I thought was amazing. But then, you know, this person didn't put in the work on the skill side. Um, and so, you know, they end up kind of bringing the team down. And that was my fault because I didn't know at that time that I, they needed to have at least some skill.
0: Yeah. And now, so now you're starting to realize the leadership skills are part of what to be recruiting for as well. The, um, where was it? What, what skills have you actually brought in outside trainers to train your management or leadership team on, or your, even your, your employees on, do you bring in people from the outside to train at all?
1: No, we, we don't. I would say the reason is because we have so much access to so many people good at so many different skills. Um, and, Primarily, when it comes to you know sales and marketing, my husband finds the people to go to, and then spreads the information through the company. And when it comes to operations, okay. I find the people to go to, and I spread that information through the company.
0: So, okay, so you're you're spreading it through, but making sure that you're you are still growing them in a focused way. Correct. Yeah, I think a lot, of, a lot of companies really miss out on that part, that they're so focused on the day-to-day of selling their product and service, they miss on the focus of growing their teams. Man,
1: yeah, I'm, I'm lucky that I'm at
0: the point where I can focus on what they need to grow as people. So tell me about bringing your sister into the company. That's amazing that on, and I love that you, that you do it. So many companies are against nepotism. I think it's I don't even call it nepotism. I think it's just hiring great culture fit people who have already got the skill sets. And it sounds like you knew she was a good culture fit. Uh, she's your sister. <laughs> and um, and she's obviously got the skills. Like you said, she had 10 years of operational experience. So how was it bringing her into the organization in the earlier? maybe first three to six months. And then um, how has it been since then? Yeah. And what have you learned from doing that? You know, it's funny. My sister and I were not
1: super close growing up. We were so opposite. And so what I didn't realize was that what made us opposite in like our personal lives would make us work so well together in the workplace. And we were both super nervous at first. Um, But it was like this, she was looking for a new job. She wasn't really happy where she was. I could see how smart and hardworking she was and, I was like, man, but we need some, I need help in the operations. And it was a perfect fit. So when I first brought her on, um, how we did it was, you know, we both led side by side together. And then over time I would let the team know like, Hey, you know, I'm going to let Mimi take this over and this, and I'm just letting you guys know, because, you know, I told you we were going to lead side by side first. And now this is hers. She owns it. Like you guys know that she knows more than me now. And I would say within about four months, she had taken on everything. Um, that I had been doing at that time, which then allowed me to go and break the business again. (laughs) Um, And how it is now is amazing. Um, You know, her and I have, it has forced us to learn how to communicate better with each other and like working toward obviously one goal together. And so it's actually brought us closer together because I think we have a newfound respect for each other's strengths because it's utilized in our relationship. And if anything, we're also very, she's very protective of me and my time. And I am constantly uh, reaching my hand out to ask where I can help and support her. And so it's honestly been easier than I would have ever expected. Great.
0: That's great. Now, is there any, any hard feelings from any of the people on the team as she's risen in her role? You know, I had a couple people at first um, kind of say, you
1: know, I was a little upset because you know she she went over me and I was in operations and I said well I'm very logical first off and I think they all know I don't make emotional like irrational decisions I said look at her experience and look at yours and I said you know you're, mm-hmm. you're not really taking my coaching and our business is growing so fast that we don't have the luxury of waiting years for someone to take it and so I have to bring someone in and I already trust her and she already fits the culture and so I'm, I'm, I'm really transparent with the team about it. And they've told me before, if, if anything's ever come up, I've said, you know, does it make you feel like I'm favoring her or X, Y, and Z? And, you know, they'll tell me how they feel about certain things. And um, I just try to be as upfront as possible about it.
0: That's great. Yeah.
1: Now, how about firing people? Have you guys had to fire people yet? Yes. Um, I think we're really lucky. I think our, out of the, we've hired I think we've had to fire nine people and we have 46. So it's pretty low um, over the span of time. It feels high because
0: it, I think four of them were about two months ago, <laughs> but yes, okay. we have had to fire people. So lessons from that on your end, what were the, were there hiring mistakes? Um,
1: oh yeah. Um, I would say first mistake is, hiring someone for the role that it is required of them today, rather than the role that is going to be in six months or even in three months. Yep. And so I yep. didn't learn, know that at first. And so I would hire someone who worked today, but our business is changing rapidly. So a month from then their role would require more and they would be so, I just remember one girl petrified of the change.
0: <laughs>
1: Jerk. Totally. Yes. Um, the second thing I would say is just ignoring red flags that I didn't, Like ignoring obvious things, you know, that are just so obvious. It's like everything else is great about a person. There's just one red flag during the interview. And then they hire them anyway because they have great skill set, great culture fit. And then that red flag comes up and bites you in the butt later and they end up, you know, we actually had someone steal from the company. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I I was talking to a CEO again recently, and they were saying that it takes three months after you hire someone to truly know if they're the right hire. And I said, no, that's not true. I said, if you actually have the right interviewing and selection process, you know everything about them before you present the offer. And the reality is most companies get sloppy and lazy in the hiring process, and they do end up ignoring the red flags, or they do end up hiring too quickly, or like you said, hiring somebody for the job they have to do today. Even when when we were growing 1-800-GOT-JUNK, we went through six consecutive years of 100% revenue growth. So year over year, 100% six times in a row, you had to hire ahead of the curve for that. And that's kind of where you guys are growing as well.
1: Yeah, I agree 100% with you in that. And I think the reason so many people would say it takes three months is just they're not aware enough during the interview to catch themselves lying to themselves
0: almost. Oh, for sure. Now tell me about what's the single biggest thing that you think if you look back on your your extremely fast growth in the last 10 to 12 12 months, what's really helped you scale that quickly? What's been if you could say there's one thing, what would the one thing be? Man, one thing.
1: (laughs) I would say for myself complete yeah. clarity on my autonomy in the business um away from my husband's so for us to say for him to say layla i want you to run the business and do all the operations and do all the people stuff and i am just going to market and develop a product and i don't want to make those decisions and when awesome. he said that i realized who i had to become to build this business that would fulfill his insane visions um yep. and that was the moment that everything really took off for us
0: so that's what i call a navy seal mentality that if you've got a group of navy seals and they're all kind of going into a room the door is closed and they know that on the other side of the door there's a bunch of people that want to kill them one person's job is only to look to the right one person's job is only to look to the left and one person's job is to only look straight ahead and they know that if they do anything but their exact role somebody might get killed that if the guy who's only supposed to look to the left actually looks to the right a little bit, somebody from the left might kill somebody. Yep. And when there is that pure role clarity, and then also the confidence that the individuals have the confidence to just do their job and run with it, man, stuff starts to scale. So are you taking that, that idea or that confidence that you have, how are you trickling that now through the organization? Have you started to do that with everybody who reports yes. to you? Um,
1: that is, that's my 100% focus with them. Um, I, I would say it's giving them the freedom to fail um, with the executives. It's allowing them to fail and knowing, telling them and reassuring them over and over again that I'm okay if they mess up and giving them obviously the clear outcome of their department. So having them, you know, they are now the ones making their, the calls on like, what are the goals for your department based on the goals of the company? And then them having that clarity of where their ownership is and clear swim lanes. So, you know, clear swim lanes with backing that and I guess you could say padding it with the support and the confidence from me and from everyone else. I would say that that is, those are the two things they really need. Clarity and trust.
0: I go back to Michael Gerber who wrote the e-myth when he says that people don't fail, systems fail. And if somebody makes a mistake or drops the ball or something goes wrong, it's not their fault. It's the, There's a system that's broken or missing. The fact that people make a mistake actually shows us that we need to systemize something so it doesn't happen again. Right. right? And it could be, but that's, that's a, and it really gives people a lot of comfort where they realize that no one's going to get blamed for something going wrong. We're just going to then create a system around it so it doesn't happen again. Let's go faster. Right. So tell us, what, what's the biggest mistake? You're working with so many business owners. What's the single biggest mistake you see businesses making or your clients making? Mm. At
1: the point they're at in their entrepreneurship, <laughs> I would say it's resistance to building and growing a team, 100%. Um, you know, once, when they do their, our front-end product, it's resistance to scaling. And then when they get into our second tier, it's resistance to accepting some of their, their own flaws and then resistance to delegation. So in a sense, that Mm -hmm. is what I see most of them struggle with right now.
0: They're just holding on too tight. Holding on
1: too tight. Yes. And I think what a lot of it is, is that when you're that small, you're like, it's my business, but it's just, it's the business. And I think, to say it's our business with your team, um, I try to speak that way because I have to remember like it is not, I should not be the one the business relies on solely.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it's one of the reasons why I try to get leaders and business owners to take so many vacation days is I want them to actually be forced to delegate <laughs> and forced to have other people running the company for them. The more time you take off on vacation, the faster you'll scale your company. It's funny
1: you say that. Um, we have our our first out of country vacation in no,
0: two weeks. <laughs> Okay. I would, I would challenge you. How, how long are you going 14 for? 14 days. Nice. I would challenge you. And this is an old one that we used to do years ago. You get your assistants to change your passwords on your laptops and your email so that you have zero access for the 14 days and you force yourself to just let it go. And the reality is, even if the old adage of like only call me if the business is burning, fuck, don't call me. If the, if the business is burning, call the fire department. <laughs> I can't <laughs> do anything. I, Right. I'm in Italy, um, but if you can set your team up with that, it really gets very powerful, very, very quickly. I'm writing it down. <laughs> the other one is the other one is no business books, no business periodicals, no blogs, no business writing, thinking nothing. Just to read a novel, like go read a book about something that's passionate for you, like, uh, and just disconnect because it's. I think we really miss that part. Is that Often the, the more business learning we're doing is adding stress on top of our already busy lives, right? It's just adding a lot of random ideas to our yes. good for you to take the two weeks off, but go take it. <laughs> um so a couple couple final questions. If we were to think about um technology and how technology is changing our businesses right now, how have you how have you guys as a company leveraged technology? What are your favorite apps or hacks or, or tech tools you use?
1: Man, I, I mean to be honest, I would say we don't have a ton of those. Um, Facebook is the main one um, okay. in creating a community, that is. Um, you know, we have three Facebook groups. One is a group for prospects. One is a group for our front level or our 16K product. And the other is a group for our top level. And so we basically are constantly adding value into all of those groups, yes, but we're also forcing um not forcing, but encouraging, um, our clients to, to kind of sell for us using those groups because we give them status. We would say we post, you know, a video kind of boosting up our top level group Well, we post it into our 16 K group and talking about how awesome they are and, you know, showing testimonials of them. And then they're commenting on that saying, you changed my life in this program. Like anyone who joins hates money. Anyone who doesn't join hates money, you know, things like that. Um, And so it kind of promotes for us. And so the groups kind of have become like a self-sufficient marketing tool. So we don't have to do much. They just kind of do their thing.
0: I love that. That's a really, it's a solid tool too. You're well, you're right. I I watched Hal Elrod with his Miracle Morning community and it's incredible what he's done in that whole community. So good for you to leverage a tool that just sits in front of us for free. (laughs) Um, So Last last question I've got is actually related to a, one of my books that I just launched a year ago. I came out with a book called Meetings Suck and I was just frustrated with people complaining about meetings and I wanted to teach employees how to just even show up and attend and participate at meetings, not only how to run them. How do you guys leverage meetings inside of, and, and meetings being like either over video or face-to-face or in person mm-hmm. um, or over the phone, how do you leverage meetings and, and what systems do you have that make meetings work for you?
1: Honestly, I think um, the biggest thing for me has been, if your meetings suck, it's because you suck. (laughs) Um, In my mind, it's like, if if I'm bored with the meeting or I feel people are bored with the meeting, there's always something I can do about it. So um, I don't know if there's any hacks. I would say, you know, we, we do Zoom. And so I ensure that everyone is sitting down, paying attention, phones are out of sight and their video is on so that they're properly engaged. But I give, I do a lot of employee um, surveys, and so the biggest piece I got a couple months ago was we want to be more involved in the meetings. And so I have, I'll send out like a lesson plan for the executives, so they have a part of the meeting they own. There's always space for Q and A. There's always space for people on the front line to drop in. um, You know, some shout outs for people on the front line, and I just try to make it that it's not just my meeting, but I've I've really moved towards letting obviously getting my information that I need to across to the team, but then letting everyone participate.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the key. If they're going to be at the meeting, they should be involved. Otherwise, why invite them in the first place? They've got better things to do if they're not going to be involved, right? right? Um, You actually kind of just skipped over something really kind of audgy shucks. And it's like, you know, and we just check our, check our phones, like phones aren't in the way. That's a huge, that's a huge, huge system that I've been encouraging companies all over the world to do now is that you check your cell phone at the door and if you can't be in that meeting for a half hour or an hour, whatever it's booked for without your phone, it means you're too busy to be in the meetings. That's okay. Just don't come to the meeting. And that, that is for the CEO all the way down to the frontline staff. We're in the meeting. It's kind of like a swimmer. You're not going to be in a swim race and check your email while you're racing, right? Just do one thing at a time and do it really well. Yeah. And then let's book, book the meetings for a shorter period of time. Um, Layla, just before I go, it's funny that, that you and your husband met on Bumble <laughs> One of, the, one of the upcoming interviews we have for the uh, Second in Command podcast is the Second in Command for Bumble. She and I met at the TED conference this year. I go to the main TED conference every year and we bumped into each other at a, at a lunch of uh, Peter Diamandis was hosting there. So um, it'll be interesting to hear what her growth stories are, but you guys are certainly buzzing. It's fun to watch your, your growth. I'm really, really happy that you were able to share with us today. So thanks very much for everything you shared. No, share. I really appreciate you for having me. You've been listening to Second in Command with Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. To learn more best practices from industry-leading COOs, please visit COOalliance.com.